And now let us turn to the reading of Luke, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Hold on, it's a long one, but you know it. For then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the wealth that will belong to me. So he divided his assets between the sons. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant region, and there he squandered his wealth in dissolute living and debauchery. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took, the place, took place throughout that region, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that region, who sent him out to the fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything to eat. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed his son. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on my son. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now is found. And they all began to celebrate. Now the elder son was in the field, and as he came and approached the house and heard the music, and dancing, he called out to one of the slaves and asked, what's going on? His father came and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your commandment. Yes, you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks. be to God. pray. Loving God, loving parent, be with us with arms reaching out and may we feel the touch on our shoulders as our head rests against your lap. Be with us and near us as we come back to you. Amen. A season of stewardship is full of ministry and activity plans for the next year. 
And as you know, during a time of transition such as this, stewardship is more complicated because details of the coming year are missing. What stands out boldly? Your next called pastor is as yet unknown. Now the theme of this year's stewardship campaign reminds you of one crucial detail. Though you feel like you are in a time of watching and waiting and wondering and unknown, what you may miss is that what you need is already here in you, through you, because of you, you. Like the father in Jesus's parable who knew in advance that his, this son of mine was needed though the son did not know it. He also knew that the son's belonging, being the ones who are already waited for, was already in action. They didn't know that. So your stewardship campaign here at First Pres is to remind you that you are the ones you have been waiting for. Which means now, taken outside of the parable, but right here, you need to continue ministry and vision and hope for your church. Just as this loving father never lost a vision through his time of immense transition from owning all of these fields and lands and herds and crops to dividing everything he had between two sons. And where does that put the father? One son left the scene, one son withdrew, and the father never stopped waiting for either. They were the ones he was waiting for. Now both children had issues, big ones, but the loving parent waited for both of them just as they were. So I think this parable is a wonderful parable of your stewardship season. Your stewardship season brought in June Jordan's poem, We Are the Ones We Are Waiting For. Has it sunk in yet that that we is you? In the parable that we are the two boys. The loving father waiting. For the ones who are already here, you are the answer to what is needed for the vision of your church. Now let me return to being a preacher. Rembrandt, created the, the return of the prodigal toward the end of his life, 1669, Rembrandt's focus is not on the son who we like to tear apart, criticizing, well, we would never do that. <laughs> the focus is on the loving father. And if you have your Bibles open, which would be lovely if you did, but I would implore you to ignore the scripture heading in Luke 15. I dislike scripture headings, but don't get me going down that, that bunny trail. Only because, I'll just jump this one in, because often the scripture heading tells you what you're supposed to think. Well, stop that. Read the scripture for what it says. 
If I were to put a scripture heading there, it would be called the parable of the loving father. But that's not the point. Let's use the word prodigal, which means, as you know, extravagant. Spending money or resources freely and recklessly wasteful extravagance, but in a positive sense, good, amazing good. Generosity is also something that can be extravagant, prodigal, lavish. For instance, the dessert was crunchy with brown sugar and prodigal with whipped cream. Anybody want it? I'm ready. What are you doing? Jesus' story, both the father's and the father and the sons were prodigal, extravagant. One what? waiting. I took that pop One in withholding, withdrawing, and one in giving. And I did my first one wrong. Not waiting, wasting. Wasting, withholding, giving, prodigal. Father Henri Nouwen had a chance encounter, a surprise encounter with Rembrandt's painting while sitting in a Catholic monastery retreat center while he was there intending to discuss his future retreat. He was a famous scholar and he wanted a retreat setting, so that's what he was supposed to talk about. But above the office was his print of Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal. As he was in conversation with the spiritual director, he could no longer focus on himself. He could only focus on that painting. And that painting became his spiritual retreat. So he wrote a book, The Return of the Prodigal, the story of homecoming. In it, Nowen wrote, a man in a great red cloak, tenderly touching the shoulders of a disheveled boy, kneeling before him. And the intimacy between the two figures, the warm red coat of the man, the golden yellow of the boy's tunic, and the mysterious light engulfing both of them, but flowing off of the father's face. Point? The father. Now in writes, but most of all, it was the hands, the old man hands as they touched the boy's shoulders that drew him, Nowen, into the picture. And he realized of all things, he, Henry Nowen, famous as he was, servant, he wanted to be that son enfolded in that father's loving embrace. The point of the parable, and therefore the painting, is the son's reception upon his return. Implicit in the return is, of course, the leaving, the radical rejection, the unfathomable in any culture, any language, any time. Basically, the son said, I want my inheritance now so you are dead to me. You don't get an inheritance until the parent is deceased. So this is what the child is saying to father. The child rejects love and walks away with gifts galore that will be wasted on nothingness 
The child in Jesus' parable represents any and every poor decision, offense, hiccup throughout all of history that ever has been and will be done. Every one of them. It is an, a prodigal extravagance to let you know whose hands are always there to greet you home. What if the prodigal extravagance of wastefulness happened to you? Does that prevent the father, the parent, from loving you back home? Never, ever. The extreme nature of this rejection, the prodigal waste in our story, should make you feel uncomfortable. Rembrandt's focus, as I said, is not the son, it is the parent. Rembrandt presents of a father dressed in the long flowing red garments decorated with the station of honor that was current in Rembrandt's day in the 17th century. He put this scripture to his life in that day and so should we. As I said on the father falls all of the light, not the sun, but the father whose hands are placed on the slump shoulders of the sun gets all of the attention. Rembrandt, as you know, was not a biblical scholar. How did he see this in the story? But this is how he interprets this parable. And Nowen's book speaks to the interpretation the artist gave. First, the hands. Notice the father's hands, the left hand is touching the son's shoulder, is stronger with more muscle, more work, more calluses. The fingers are spread apart in strength, gripping the son's back. There's a certain pressure there, especially in the thumb. You could see it in the painting. The hand seems not only to touch with its own strength, but to hold in a guiding, sustaining grip. I've got you, son. I've got you, my daughter. How different is the other hand, the right hand, Nowen writes. It is refined, it is soft, it is tender. The fingers are closer together and they have an elegant quality. It wants to caress, to stroke, to offer consolation and comfort. It is a comforter's hand. It is a gentle hand for somebody who needs gentle care. The gentle hand, the right hand, echoes God's words through the prophet Jeremiah, who knew the people would be seeing disastrous times. Jeremiah spoke. God's words, for the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn, I weep, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no physician to bring healing to my child? Now, notice the father's head. It's bent slightly toward the kneeling son. It's a pose of compassion, of grace of wisdom and long-suffering. It knows hurt and will not walk away from love. 
The son is resting his head against the father's chest. The son's head is bald like a newborn baby, ready to be birthed. The father bends down over the child as if it's receiving him into the womb of creation to, born this, to birth this child again. Now, didn't Jesus say to Nicodemus, you must be reborn, born again from above, out of the very hands of God? Doesn't Rembrandt put that into this parable? The birthing position. Notice the child's arms are beneath him in a birthing position. Like a newborn babe, the child receives the parents' embraces, life-giving. This is another of Rembrandt's contributions to the interpretation of this passage, which so many have used to point a finger at somebody else. Don't you be that son. Please be that son and come home. The son rests at ease in the father's hands and receives the embrace of life-giving love. Rembrandt is giving you and me, God's children, a picture of how we are received by God. Have you noticed it lately? If not, look again. You too are in this picture. But for we North Americans, this vulnerability can be a stumbling block. We are pretty good at returning. We're very good at returning to duty, returning to work, returning to responsibility, returning to school, to learning, but we are not so good at returning to accept love. Many people stay at arm's distance from God because they can't imagine this scene with them in it. where we are wounded, torn apart. God's loving embrace, strong and caring, is always there. Sometimes we're afraid to go find that. Sometimes we're afraid to feel broken as this child must, child, he's, he's an adult son, but I'm a mother and you're always a child to me. This is part of being a disciple, a person who follows Jesus the Christ to be able to accept the love offered, always. Rembrandt shows the son's brokenness in the details of the son's feet. As he kneels against his father, one foot is wounded and bare. The other foot is dressed in a worn, torn sandal. Perhaps there's a parallel with the hands and the feet, a bare foot, a, sh a slightly shod foot, the strong hand, the gentle hand. The vulnerable side of the sun is seen in his feet. And still he is able to receive new life, new birth from his father. Or maybe the son's homecoming journey caused him to lose a shoe and the pebbles in the road broke up the other shoe. Does it make any difference to lose a shoe, to have a shoe broken apart on the, the rocky road? Is that not vulnerability? Can we come to God in our vulnerability? Yes. 
Rembrandt provides a quiet stillness in this portrait of God, the creator, and parent. The father's eyes do not appear to be open. They appear to be closed in this picture. Near blind acceptance offered through touch. The son's vulnerable searching to belong, even if not as a son, just as a servant, in order to eat. The son's willingness is open to the father, but he's blinded to what caused this. Why it doesn't matter, my son's home. At any cost, the endless waiting and hope of this father for this child. In Rembrandt's painting, not pictured, is verse 20. I would love to see Rembrandt's version of the father longingly pacing back and forth on his veranda, looking down the road, the house that now belongs to the other son. But still, this father has never forgotten the son that went away or the son that's present. This father looking and pacing, wondering, will my son come home? Hoping that this is the day that the son returns. And then the moment he spots somebody passing by whose physique looks familiar, and that person stops and turns up the father's road. Disheveled as it was, this was the image of his son, his own son returning. And this old father casts aside his dignity because it was not appropriate for first century Palestinian Jewish men to lift up their robes and run. Wrong age. But could that stop this father? No. He runs. Doesn't walk. He runs toward his son and throws his arm around. Now I know the scripture said the fa- that the son said, Father, I'm so sorry, I have sinned, but I don't think the father could hear it because I think the boy's voice would have been right here, right in the breadbasket. Nowen writes, the parable of the son is a story that speaks about love that existed before any rejection was possible and that was still there after rejection has taken place. It is a love that always welcomes home, always wants to celebrate. Now put yourself in that picture with your name on the Father's lips. Can you see that? Or is it easier looking at this neutral sun? Ask yourself why it's easier to look at the sun. Our parent God knows our woundedness, and this parable reminds us that God feels our wounds but never leaves the scene. The elder brother represents many of us, not everyone, but many of us, falling to resentment. Envy or scorn is not a new temptation, or at least it's probably one of my biggest temptations. Asking ourselves why we are not the special one. I want to not just be the we, I want to be the you. Why don't I get special treatment? Why do they get special treatment? While at the same time not appreciating what I have come to take advantage of or take for granted. The story of the prodigal elder brother 
is but a beginning. Just as the younger prodigal learned, the elder brother stands at a tipping point of learning too. Son, everything I have is yours. Really? Learning from failure by learning to hold on to God's prodigal grace. I'll end here with Pema Chodron's quote from When Things Fall Apart. Think, I think that the point is to pass the test, not I think, we think that the point is to pass the test or to overcome the problem. Sound familiar? But the truth is that things do not always get solved. They come together and they fall apart. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen. Letting there be room for all of this to happen. Room for grief, room for relief, room for misery, and for joy. This son of mine, both of them, and all of us are the ones we are waiting for. Amen.